live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. It's another bright and sunny day out here in the Pacific Northwest, and just a wonderful day to be alive. So this is the Bose Nose Show, and I am Jay Bozovich, and I am a county commissioner here in Lane County, Oregon. And I do this show so folks can, you know, get to me and ask questions and, and get answers about local government here in Oregon. And, you know, I'll do my best if it's something that happens outside of Lane County, but inside of Lane County, of course, is my expertise. But I've also been involved in politics for a long time and actually grew up in Washington, D.C. Uh, and my dad worked for CBS News. So if you want to talk national politics, I'm game for that, too. And if you want to get in on the conversation, you can just call me at 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin, my producer, know that you want to get in and talk to me. Or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And you can do that even between shows and and ask a question or, uh, you know, give us a suggestion for a guest or a topic. And speaking of guests, we don't have one today. We're just going to uh, fly by the seat of our pants, and if you want to call in, you can take us whatever direction you want to go. It's kind of like, you know, anything goes. I I refer to it as a free-for-all. We'll go where you want to go. So just give me a call or drop me an email, and we'll get there. And in a few minutes, we'll probably talk about PERS because I got a Facebook question about that. And that's another way you can get a hold of us is you can uh, get a, you know, KRBN radio on Facebook and you'll find our Facebook page. And I got a question about the uh, public employees retirement system uh, that we'll try and get into here in a few minutes. But I want to talk first about, uh, I, I went to, you know, I had a guest a few weeks back to talk about an event called Rally Around the Flag in Cottage Grove, Oregon, that happened this last Saturday. And their their um, featured speaker uh, for the event was a guy by the name of Doyle Shamley. And he's from Apache County, Arizona. So he came up here all the way from Arizona to share his knowledge. And Apache County has managed to intervene themselves with the federal government in how they manage forest lands in that county. And uh, they've done it in a very unique way uh, and something that might be able to be replicated here in Oregon. I'm not sure it can be done uh, easily or well, but I, I am willing to look into it. His presentation was over an hour with slides you know, the good old PowerPoint in the background. So a lot of, you know, that wasn't, there was a lot of information there that he didn't even go over and he skipped a lot of slides. Normally he spends about three hours doing what he compressed into an hour. Uh, So I'm waiting to get a copy of his full presentation 
and do my own research into this and see if we may be able to duplicate some of what uh, Apache County has done in Arizona to try and get a little bit more active management of forest lands. And I, and I just have to mention once a couple of slides he had about uh, greenhouse gas emissions and wildfire. And he had uh, a couple of sources. Apparently, uh, there's one place you can go in the federal government to find out what all the greenhouse gas emissions are from various industries and human activities across the state on an annual basis. And there was another place you could go to get information on how much was potentially generated from wildfires based on their size and intensity and all that stuff. And he had managed to synthesize these two things together. And for the last year he had data, which uh, was 2014, the human, other than wildfires, because some wildfires are started by humans, uh, but the size and intensity is based on how well you've managed the forest or grasslands. But the, the human activity, the, the industrial and traffic and all that had put out, you know, like 12 and a half million tons of greenhouse gases over the year. The wildfires in that same year put out 125 million tons, a 10 to one ratio Greenhouse gases to for wildfire versus greenhouse gases for human activities in the state of Oregon. So as you start thinking about all these things, people are trying to do the, the Clean Fuels Act they passed here in Oregon and, you know, all sorts of little things they're trying to force us into to make, you know, like this 20% change or even sometimes less than a percent change in what humans put out there, it's minuscule to what we could do if we could get a similar reduction in wildfire activity through proper forest management and proper grasslands management. You know, this, this whole thing about trying to let things go back to nature when they weren't natural to begin with, a lot of our forest or our, uh, actually plantations i'll use that word because it's a word that the the uh environmentals like to use a lot but it's true they're planted and you know hand planted at a density that is not natural and if they aren't managed they get too thick they get um weak trees that become subject to, to insects and other disease and they become a a huge fire hazard and when they do burn they burn bigger and larger and more intensely than, than you know, a well-managed forest will. And the folks down there in Apache County realized that after some very large fires they had down there, and they basically stepped in and are starting to um, interject themselves in the management of their federal forest and reducing the fire, wildfire hazards in uh, Apache County which is, you know, a really important thing. And, it, and it, the side benefit of that is it's growing jobs in Apache County. They're actually taking that stuff instead of burning it up and, and spending money fighting fires. He had some interesting statistics on fighting fires uh, and how much that's costing us nationally. I think it was well over a trillion dollars over 10 years. It was 
a huge amount of money. Um, you know, how much we're fighting fires, instead, you know, manage the forest and create jobs in that management. It was just, uh, you know, it was a really powerful presentation. Doyle uh, really understands the topic. I'm looking forward to future communications with him and some of his associates, and maybe we can find a model here in Oregon to do something similar. I do know that uh, a fellow commissioner down in Douglas County, Oregon, uh, Chris Boyce, is, is working on the same thing in Douglas County, so I'm going to try and get together with Chris and see where he's at, and you know, maybe there's a way that we can insert ourselves in the process uh, through these uh, what they call technical management teams from the local government um, that actually get to have a say in the uh, management of federal lands within the county's jurisdiction. So it was a fairly interesting weekend there and a lot of really um, what I would consider liberty-minded people down there, some uh, great booths down there. That I, I got to talk to some folks from the Bohemia Mining um, coalition, a bunch of uh, miners that have claims. And, you know, I have to say there's this desire lately to um, take federal land and, and then make it into either a monument, a wilderness, or a refuge, or whatever it is, basically lock it up and go even further than just, you know, the way they're mismanaging the lands right now. There's a proposal right now, under the guise of honoring a World War II vet, our Senator, Ron Wyden, has proposed to take the North Umqua watershed, which is in, is in uh, Douglas County and Lane County, about half of it's in Lane County, and designate it as the, uh, a, a steelhead, um, I, I forget the term they use, but like a steelhead refuge which would basically um, negate all the mining claims in the Bohemia Mining District, which have been there forever. And it's not even necessary because any of the streams in that watershed that have fish, that have any Andromedas fishing already are protected and are banned from mining. But the legislation he wants to push through would take the mining away from the non-fish bearing streams. You know, it's just a backdoor way of declaring a wilderness, chasing all the miners out of that area, chasing all the roads out of that area, and, and making it a roadless area, but doing it under the guise of honoring a World War II veteran who just happened to be an avid fisherman. And, and I just got to say that, that, you know, somebody that fought for our freedoms in World War II, if they really understood the base motivation of that, would be really upset. So, you know, you know, it's something that uh, we have to protect against. Watched a video earlier today, and it's available uh, online, about the uh, proposed monument, national monument, out in, in Mahir County. And the, the proposed monument basically is going to turn it into wilderness because uh, it bans most, you know, cattle grazing and, and human activities, starts pulling out, making roads illegal and everything. The actual acreage of the monument bigger than the combined states of Delaware and Rhode Island. You know, talk about killing 
a culture out there of what, you know, the ranchers, which is, you know, the, the life's blood of Malheur County is, is basically uh, cattle ranching. Uh, and those are the folks that actually keep the brush under control for fire control. They're the first people on the scene when there is a wildfire, uh, you know, and it fires the biggest danger to the sage grouse, which is the, the, the new species of concern out there. Um, you know, they chase those folks off, that place is going to burn. There won't be sage grouse. Uh, it's just insidious what some of the folks in our federal government, and this one's really insidious because it's being done under an executive order with no vote of Congress. And if Obama signs the executive order, there won't be any safe locally input into this, and Congress won't get to have a say. And you're just going to be setting aside, you know, two states worth of territory of, of the West as off limits to humans. Uh, it's just it's insanity what they're trying to, to do. So, you know, here's to those folks that came down there for rally around the flag. Um, and here's the Doyle Shambly for fighting for uh, his local community's rights to control some of these federal lands lands that really should be uh, county lands. And if you look at uh, how it should have rolled out when statehood came about. Um, but, you know, the West, once you get you know, past a certain distance in the newer states, the, the, the bureaucrats and the federal government figured out, we'll just hang on to this stuff and we're going to control it. The progressives got a hold of that. And I don't know if we'll ever get them back. But, uh, you know, we got to just keep fighting and that's what we were talking about on Saturday. So if you'd like to talk about federal land policy and monuments and federal land management, just give me a call, 646-721-9887. Uh, press 1, and that lets Robin know you want to talk to me. And uh, you can also email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And that'll, um, you know, you can do that even between shows. You know, give us an idea for a guest or whatever. So moving on a little bit from maybe federal um, land policies and uh, federal lands and monuments and wildernesses and all that good stuff, let's jump to a topic that applies here in the state of Oregon. But I have a feeling that if you're listening from out of the state of Oregon, that your state has a similar problem with their public employees retirement system. I'm not really familiar with a state that doesn't have some pending um, unfunded liability in their retirement system. Uh, California is probably uh, one of the worst as far as the size of deficit. Uh, Oregon's got a pretty good one. And unfortunately, the news that came out today is not good. They just you know, went through the uh, the running all the, the the numbers and you know all the input and you would think with this you know stock market that stayed strong even through the the Brexit stuff you know we thought we were going to lose the stock market over Brexit um, but it stayed fairly strong you would think that you know Oregon's investments that that helped fund the uh, pension system would have grown fast enough to prevent the uh, unfunded liability from growing, but not really. 
Another 885 million in unfunded liability was added, uh, is projected to be added in the 2017 to 2019 biennium here in the state of Oregon. And that brings our unfunded liabilities to nearly $22 billion in, in pension benefits that we're going to be owing public employees. That's the unfunded ones. You know, we've funded, we've, we've got a fair amount put away, but that's just the unfunded. But what that means is that every agency that's involved with that, which means, you know, Lane County is involved in the public employees retirement system. The city of Eugene is involved in it. And all of our school districts around here are involved in it. So across the state, you know, local governments and school districts and um, fire districts, there, there's, and then just the state employees too. All those agencies are going to have to buck up and start paying more in their annual uh, contributions to the, uh, the retirement system to try and work down that unfunded liability, which means their allocations from the state will probably be reduced or, you know, Basically, whatever they get from the state is going to turn around and come right back. It's going to be allocated from the state to the school districts, and they're going to have to turn around and pay back to the state for their PERS liabilities. Those rates are all going to increase, and it's going to really hurt uh, a lot of school districts that have been notoriously, um, I, I would say, not very well managed when it comes to funding their liabilities. Uh, most of the school districts in the state of Oregon have funded less than 80% of their PERS liabilities, where Lane County has managed to always, uh, in the last um, 10 to 15 years, stay well above 80%. Uh, at one point, we had gotten ourselves up to 95% funding before the uh, 2000. Um, Eight turndown in the economy. We, then we got back close to that, and then there was another little slip in, in the stock markets, uh, and we got behind a little bit. But uh, Lane County has been able to kind of keep ours up. We have some really good uh, financial folks, and we've been careful that you know we don't under project our true cost of running the government. And that's what school districts have been doing here in Oregon is they're telling um, folks in their budgets that it's only costing them. Uh, X to uh, run the school district that year when they've been hiding this Y behind the scenes that they're not funding their PERS liabilities. So it's really X plus Y it cost them. So they're they're technically uh, budgeting a deficit, but they put it off, you know, and, and that's catching up to them. And eventually they're going to have to pay the piper uh, and uh, fund those unfunded liabilities. Unfortunately, it's going to hurt our school systems here in the state of Oregon, which are not exactly ranking well recently. I think there is a recent um, study that showed we're the sixth worst school system in the entire country by state. Uh, you know, and this is just going to make things a little bit harder on the local school boards and trying to keep our school systems. Uh, running a full year's worth of school days and keeping the student-teacher ratios down kind of speaks to the need maybe for a little bit of school choice 
and a little bit of competition to keep them on their toes uh, and putting the control of educating our kids back in the parents' hands versus the bureaucrats' hands. But um, that's a completely different topic we can talk about later. But I did want to talk a little bit when we're on PERS here just about what Lane County has done over the years. And I'm going to kind of go back to, I gave, I was chairman of our board of commissioners last year. So at the end of the year, I got to give our state of the county speech reflecting back on the previous year. I should say really in January, reflecting back on 2015 as we changed over to a new uh, chair of the board. And in my speech, I talked about how we were trying to make Lane County financially sound and resilient for future fluctuations in the economy and in federal policies as far as forest management and everything else goes. And, you know, one of the things that's a real challenge is this whole public employee retirement system funding. But, you know, back in 2013, our legislature here in Oregon passed a set of reforms to the PERS system. And, uh, you know, it was a gamble. Some of the reforms uh, were questionable about whether they would hold up in court or not. Uh, And our financial and uh, legal and human resources staff looked at that set of reforms and said, you know what, board? it might be a good idea if you guys didn't budget those savings that they were going to, you know, that the state was going to reduce our our PERS um, contributions by. So we took that money and set it aside in a reserve account on the basis that we thought the state was going to get sued over those reforms and lose. Um, And if we were wrong, then we'd have this money available later uh, fortunately, uh, we set it aside, and now that um, money was in a reserve account when, sure enough, in 2015, the court case finally came up in the courts, and the state legislature lost, and the reforms were rolled back, and everybody's rates bounce back up, uh, or are going to bounce back up, and we've got money set aside in a reserve account to pay those increases in rates. Uh, so... We looked pretty smart in doing that, but the real you know, story is the fact that we've kept that funding of our, our liability at 80% or higher, because a couple of years back in the, uh, the PERS rates get adjusted every two years to the local governments, and if you were under 80% funding, uh, the PERS rates increased by 6%. So a lot of the school districts that were under um, 80% funded got 6% increases in their PERS rate. Because Lane County at the time that was going on was about 90% uh, funded, our increase that year was 1.8%. And just to give you an idea of how much money that saved us, uh, the, the rate increase had it been 6% would have been an additional million annually in our budget. Now, of course, we have basically a half billion dollar budget. That's still a lot of shekels to put out there uh, for the PERS system. But we, you know, we've been, you know, doing the right thing in Lane County. 
We didn't spend savings that were paper savings that hadn't been challenged in court. And we've been actually putting the money away for our PERS liability uh, and being responsible about it. So our rate increases haven't been what some of the, the less responsible districts are. And then they always act surprised when they get these huge PERS increases. It's like, um, really? <laughs> you're surprised you got this huge increase when you're not funding your your unfunded liabilities? So I, I would I would have to say that at least the citizens of Lane County and the taxpayers of Lane County should be happy with the fact that we have maintained that. And even with this projection of an increase in the liability, the unfunded liability uh, in the PERS system, it really shouldn't affect us as badly as it's going to affect some of the other um, lower funded agencies like school districts. Uh, we should be able to weather the storm and we still do have this reserve account that will help us pay for at least the first year or so of increased rates from the, the loss of the, the lawsuit on the reforms. So, you know, Daryl, if you're listening, who's, who asked that question on Facebook, uh, that's kind of where we are with PERS. If you have a further question, just give us a call. Uh, again, you know, folks want to know that number. It's 646 721-9887, and that's the Bose Nose Show you're calling. Just press one, and Robin, my producer, will uh, get you in on the conversation. And uh, today's a free-for-all day, so it doesn't have to be about PERS. You can call me about anything you want to. Uh, you know, we have, we've been you know, covering a lot of ground here in Lane County. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, PERS. We've been covering all sorts of things, you know. Um, oh, you know, I just got a, a, a note from my, my producer. She wanted to, to me to kind of define what I mean by unfunded liability versus, say, our general fund in, in Lane County. So anytime you um, promise something in the future, that's a liability you have to pay. So the question is, is you make promises that are bigger than what you have in your savings account to pay that, that's an unfunded liability. So, you know, PERS, we're promising these benefits till people die, and we can kind of estimate based on, um, you know, the, the, the various longevity tables and, and all that, how many years people are going to live after they retire approximately what their salaries are now, what the calculations will be for what their retirement will be based on number of years of service. And they can they do those calculations when I talk about how they did all the numbers and turned the crank and realized they got another $800 million worth of liability. Uh, basically what they figured out was there's X number, X number of dollars of promised benefits over the next 30 odd years. But what's actually put away in the bank to pay for those is another $882 million short of being able to do that. That's an unfunded liability. It's a future um, cost to the county that hasn't been covered by putting away for it now. You know, you, the, the, the private citizen, if you want to have an um, a income at retirement that's not involving um, uh, some kind of em, uh, employer uh, 
self-paid pension plan, if you're going to put something away in a 401k to ultimately buy an annuity, say, to get an annual um, uh, salary, you can't promise yourself more money than you can put away. You have to save that money up to buy that annuity, basically, at time. And basically, the unfunded liability says, we've promised an annual return from that annuity that we are $22 billion in the state of Oregon short of being able to pay for right now. Um, so that's what that unfunded liability is. Now, you know, you quite often hear government talk about general fund, and general fund is basically the uh, in, in the state and the county. It's our fund we pay most of our activities out of, and it's our most discretionary fund. It's the one where income taxes at the state level go directly into their general fund. At the county level, for us, it's where our property taxes go in. And we pay for our general government out of that fund. And that's done on an annual basis. And that has to balance year to year. We can't have an unfunded liability. So kind of what is going on with school districts who also have a general fund is they're kind of hiding their unfunded liability from the public and only budgeting their current PERS rates knowing they haven't been funding their liability at a high enough rate. Every There's an account with the state, every agency has, every school district, every, you know, every county, every city government, even the state has its own accounts um, where you have to put money in there and you've got employees that have been, you know, in the PERS system, they can figure out whether you've got enough money to cover that liability of their retirement. And uh, basically, uh, you know, a lot of school districts are underfunding that liability and they're not really showing it in their general fund budgeting. So they're, they're technically um, budgeting with a deficit that they're putting off to the future. And what Lane County is trying to do is budget that expense now uh, and, and be responsible about it. That's why we're trying to get up to close to a hundred, as close to a hundred percent funded as possible. So, that's kind of the difference between an unfunded and liability and what our general fund is. Um, so I hope that kind of answers that question, uh, Robin, you know, and anytime you want to jump in that, jump in here, Robin, and, and interrupt me with a question like that, feel free. Well, I do have uh, a question for you, Jay. Sure, Rob. Um, as you were saying that, um, you know, money set aside for PERS. So what does that mean for somebody now just entering uh, state government as far as retirement goes? How does that, does that change compared to somebody five years ago? Yeah, actually, um, one of the reasons why we have such a high unfunded liability was the original PERS system, which is referred to as Tier 1, uh, which ended in, uh, gosh, I think it was 93 or something like that. You had, to, you had to enter state service prior to that. Uh, and they made some reforms and any new employees came in as tier two. And um, that's what I am. And then tier three came on. So um, new employees don't generate quite as high of an unfunded liability because they actually have part of their systems almost like a 401k. That money is just put directly into an account under your name and it's not such a defined benefit system. 
tier one, one of the reasons it got so out of control was um, the PERS board that distributed the, the, the uh, and declared how much return on investment they got in a single year and how it was distributed was controlled by basically folks that had an interest in maximizing people's retirements, former um, public employees and people that were, you know, union related and everything else. And uh, they just went wild at times with how, you know, we're giving 25% annual returns instead of setting aside money for the future unfunded liability into the individual accounts. And uh, tier one folks can retire a couple of different ways and they're allowed to take whatever gives them the maximum value. And one of them was a money match uh, sort of thing. And it just, it got to the point where folks could actually retire under tier one for more than 100% of what they were earning when they retire, annual income. And and I don't know any other pension system that works that way. (laughs) So, um, but a new state employee today is under uh, what they call OPSERP. And and I'm trying to remember what the letters stand for, the Oregon Public something Individual Retirement Program, uh, State Individual Retirement Program, and that's much more like a 401k. And there's a um, small portion of that that is defined benefit, but it's just a calculation based on years uh, and salaries, and it's not as um, lucrative as the money match and, and the uh, variable rate that was going on with the uh, um, old tier one system, tier two fixed some of it, but not all of it. Um, so kind of what the, the a majority of that 22 billion in liability is tier one folks that um, really we're not gonna lose that liability until they die off. Um, and and for, the, the, the good thing is, is we're probably at the worst it's ever gonna get in Oregon. They've made enough reforms now that as we work our way through the PERS um, drag on our our, our uh, public agencies, we can get another 10 or 15 years down the road, it'll actually start getting better. As those folks uh, pass on and you get less and less tier one people in the system uh, and, and uh, most of the employees in public uh, service in the state of Oregon will be under tier three. Um, it will actually cure itself. So there are a few things they could do to make it a little better right now that I've been pushing for it up at the state. And one of them is to change what they call the uh, uh, assumed rate of return, uh, which is right now at, I think, 7.75%. It was 8% forever. And I don't think there's a single... Um, retirement actuarial or uh, advisor that will tell you that you should count on getting an 8% return from your investments uh, throughout your retirement. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that does is it overinflates the benefits, but it also overinflates what the agencies are supposed to be earning on what they put into the fund and keeps the agency rates down at the same time. So they kind of need to start eking that down to something realistic because the realistic number is closer to 5%. Um, But if they were to drop it immediately to 5%, it would cause the agency, like school districts, et cetera, 
rates to just explode because they would then, you know, their current 70% level of, of funding in the against the liability right now is based on them being able to earn 8% on their current amount of money in the saving in the savings accounts, their you know their their accounts. And if you drop that rate to 5%, they're going to need a whole lot more money to cover <laughs> their liabilities. So it's actually somewhat worse in some ways than than even the 22 billion. Uh, they're projecting because that 22 billion is based on an assumed rate of seven and three quarters percent annual return on investment. A uh, little bit difficult to keep that up. Uh, and anyone that's trying to earn more than one percent on their money right now understands that. <laughs> you don't think there'll be a time that they won't have enough money to pay their obligation, do you? Um, it, it may get to that, um, and you kind of wonder, you know. The place I think that's going to show up is some of these timber-dependent counties uh, in the ONC Counties Association. Uh, Curry County and Josephine County are teetering on on the brink of insolvency at times, and I don't know if they are in the PERS system or not, but they may be the first major PERS uh, system to go bankrupt, basically, because of the lack of uh, timber harvest money and the low uh, property taxes that got locked in when they had timber money. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how that gets dealt with, whether the state's going to end up having to pick up those um, retirees. And, and I don't know how that will work, but uh, it'll be interesting to, to to see how that might play out. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing a little bit better um, financially, uh, with the turnaround in the economy, I, I shouldn't really call it a turnaround. It stopped going down. It's at least stabilized. So they're doing better because 1% growth is not exactly a turnaround. Um, and that's basically what Oregon's seeing right now is about a 1% growth, less than that out in rural areas like Josephine and Curry County, and more than that up in the in the Portland metro area, but across the entire state, it's about 1% growth. So um, who knows what happens you know, when you know, if they get to a point where they can't pay it. Um, I don't foresee the state being able to walk away from that. I don't think the courts will let them um, walk away from their, their ability to pay retirement. Well, I wonder if in the future, by the way, OPSERT is... Uh, OPSRP, Oregon Public Service Retirement Plan. Okay. That's been one of the benefits of working for a state government is is PERS, and I wonder if it's going to get to the point where, like you say, it's just going to be like a 401k type of situation, and except for the union, if there's really any benefit to working for the state at some point in the future. Yeah, I I think you're right in some ways. Uh, it, it's not going to be you know, you'll still have a retirement plan and it'll be more like a 401k with, with maybe some a small defined benefit, but it's not going to be nearly as lucrative as it was. And I think what you're seeing also is a change in the salaries in public agencies where they're, they're becoming um, competitive, competitive with private sector salaries. The place you're not seeing, uh, equality is in uh, health benefits. 
definitely uh, much richer in the public sector than they are in the private sector as far as employee contribution to insurance, how much the insurance covers, deductibles and co-pays and all that good stuff. So uh, there's still some attraction to be in public service for those reasons. Um, but it used to be that you suffered the low pay of being in public service because you knew you were going to get um, taken care of basically for life uh, in retirement with uh, usually uh, some kind of uh, uh, health care and some and some kind of uh, defined benefit of um, you know retirement that you could that was guaranteed. You know you had a, some kind of guarantee in your retirement. Where a 401k is not quite as guaranteed, and especially if you're not wise about how you invest it. So um, a little bit more scary for those those employees in some ways. But what you're also seeing is um, some considerable creep of, of salaries um, uh, to get closer to the, the private sector. And in some cases, um, I would argue some public um, salaries have actually um, surpassed private sector salaries, um, particularly in some of the unionized positions and in, in bargaining units uh, uh, seem to creep up. And, and there, you know, the, the enticement to going into government if you're in a unionized position is generally you're on a um, step system where you come in at step one and it doesn't matter as long as you don't get a unsatisfactory annual performance review, you get step two in your first year, and that's usually a three to five percent pay increase. And then step three in your you know next year, and step four up through till you get what they call topped out at step seven or step nine, or depending on what what the union contract is. And then you just hope that you get uh, cost of living adjustments, which is one of the reasons why you see union leadership um, argue vehemently to get cost of living adjustments because most of the leadership in unions, in public employees unions, is folks that are living on the top step. They've been there a long time. That's why they're in union leadership. And all they care about is what's in it for me. And I've actually, you know, had comparisons on, on unions as we've negotiated contracts where their step one, the entry levels were out of market, below market, we were having trouble recruiting new employees into that union. And their top step was actually above market slightly. And what we wanted to do was to try and um, raise the low end of the pay scale and compress the steps closer together, you know, and, and, um, and try and fix some of that difficulty we were having in recruiting folks. They don't care. All they want to talk about is colas, you know, because that gives the guys at the top step a raise. You know, cost of living adjustments. Everybody gets a cost of living adjustment. Um, not not about fixing the problem with trying to get good qualified employees in as new hires. Um, it's a frustrating thing sometimes to sit as an elected official and bargain with a public employee union uh, when they have that sort of what's in it for me uh, attitude instead of what's really best for uh, the work unit you're working with and and getting good recruiting and keeping good people in the unit. Uh, it's uh, sometimes a little frustrating. So um, 
interesting things happen as uh, you know we get we got kind of off of the PERS subject and into collective bargaining there for a minute, but uh, it's all part of the same. And I, I do see that uh, there is an advantage for some folks and some uh, you know various uh, different professions that you know being a public employee looks pretty darn good. You know, I, I don't think you can guarantee working for a construction company that you're going to get a raise every year because, you know, construction tends to be cyclical and you can have good years and bad years. And you kind of also got to show that you're worth your extra money every year because you're working for a private sector guy or something. Well, you take that similar construction skill like truck driving or uh, operating a backhoe and move to a public works department and you can get into a bargaining unit position and you're at least for the first seven years you're there, you're going to get a raise every year. And at the same time, you'll probably not pay near as much for your health insurance, which you'd be lucky to get from a private construction company. And uh, you've got some kind of retirement plan. Speaking as a private sector worker, what's a raise? (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking is also, you know, one of the things that uh, I am an elected official, but I do own a co-own a business with my wife and we haven't given ourselves a raise out of the business for a number of years now, even though we've given our employees raises. Um, Yeah. The last person to get a raise is usually the boss. (laughs) And, 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 you know, we've, we've done the thing where we skipped our paychecks in order to make sure that we had enough money in the bank to pay their, our employees paychecks. Um, And that's a, you know, that's one of the reasons why that private sector, you got to balance it. You can't, you can't, you know, we don't have tax money coming in, you know, on a regular basis that we can count on year after year after year. Um, nor do we have a printing press like the federal government. Uh, you know, you're in the private sector. If you don't make money, you can't afford the raises. You can't, uh, you know, you, you know, that's just a, uh, one of those things, and it's one of the reasons why uh, it makes a lot of sense to not do things with government that can be done by the private sector, because the private sector is always going to be more efficient in the use of resources, because they have that um, driver that they have to be profitable to survive. Well, on top, add to that too that liability. Um, if you pave a road as a private. Um, contractor or whatever and you damage somebody's car it's easier to sue you than it is to sue the government for the same damage yeah yeah definitely and there's uh you know definitely easier and but i will tell you people come after us much more often they go after the contractors because they always see the government as a deep pocket uh in in this situation but yeah it, it is definitely you know, anytime we can make sure that government isn't doing a function that the private sector could do uh, more efficiently and more cheaply, the better off our society will be. Because uh, I think it'll be, you know, we can keep that money in folks' pocket, pockets in the way of less taxation, and then they can use it for what they want to use it for rather than what uh, an elected official like me decides they want to use it for. 
So, again, you're listening to the Bose Nose Show here on KRBN Internet Radio. And if you want to get in on the conversation today, we still got some time for you. 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And just press 1 that lets Robin know you want to get in on the conversation. And again, you can email us at any time uh, between shows or during the show at talk at krbnradio.net. Again, talk at krbnradio.net. And uh, suggestions for guests, topics for the show, whatever you want to do. And again, you know, I'm a county commissioner here in Lane County. One of the reasons I do this show is so that my constituents and anyone that's a citizen of Lane County has the ability to call me up directly on this show and ask me a question in a very public manner. So I have to be pretty truthful when I answer you to the best of my ability here. Uh, I'll use my knowledge. I'll let you know if I don't know something and I'll try and get uh, get it looked up. But uh, this is, uh, this show is for you all. Uh, so it, to be successful, I need you guys to call in and, and, uh, Ask me your questions, and let's uh, have a conversation. Again, 646-721-9887. Yeah, we'll even talk about pot. Yep. Yeah, we got, you know, we got all sorts of things. This Tuesday, uh, you know, we, we voted uh, a couple weeks ago to place a, a pot tax on the ballot, and we kind of formalized that yesterday with a board order. Um you know, we can talk about pot taxes and local taxation of recreational marijuana. I did have occasion um, last Friday evening uh, on a constituent that called uh, with concern with a new recreational grow that's going in adjacent to their property. Unfortunate for this constituent, they had put their house on the market, and before they could get it sold, this guy started setting up the grow. The grow is on exclusive farm use property um, adjacent to their property. So it's on a uh, legally conforming lot because under um, Oregon's right to farm, uh, it's considered an agricultural crop now under under House Bill 3400 and Measure 91 that legalized it. So there's nothing the county can do to stop this grow on farm zoned property. but the rules that OL, that the Oregon Liquor Control Commission, who is the one that, that license recreational pot growers, requires them to put up an eight-foot fence surrounding the grow. And it has to be a security fence. Well, this particular guy chose to put up basically um, a, a wood fence with stockade wire that's about four feet tall, and then somehow or another attached those, those metal, you know, use sort of uh, posts that you normally drive into the ground to attach wire fencing to, to the top of the wood post, extending up to about eight foot tall and strung strands of barbed wire above the stockade, fence, the wood fence with the stockade wire against it. And it just looks like it's a prison camp. In addition to that, they have to have video systems up apparently to keep watch in the grow area. So there's these tall posts with video cameras and lights on them out there. So it looks like a prison yard. <laughs> so the unfortunate people have lost 
three potential sales on their property since this fence started going up. The unintended consequence of um, legalization of marijuana, and I, I really felt sorry for this couple because uh, they had, you know, significant investment, custom home set up in the woods above this, you know, with a beautiful view. The only thing is, is you, that their driveway is a common driveway shared by this now, uh, you know, commercial use basically, and you have to drive along their new fences to get to this house. And it's just, it's um, not very appealing. And of course, everyone's a little bit scared of the the crime that that potentially uh, marijuana grows can bring with them because it's a cash only um, crop because the banks won't let you deposit funds from what's still federally illegal because they're concerned about racketeering issues. So um, it'll be interesting to see how all of this recreational stuff rolls out. Of course, there was that news last week of the five-year-old getting sick from consuming some uh, edible forms of pot uh, recently here in Springfield, wasn't that? I believe that kid got sick. Uh, and, And apparently that was the real issue in Colorado for a year until they started requiring childproof packaging uh, on et- on marijuana edibles. So I think we're going to have to go through some growing pains here in Oregon. I hope we watched what happened in Oregon and in Colorado and Washington enough that we don't suffer as big a growing pains, but uh, still stuff to come on marijuana. So we can talk pot. Uh, we can talk all sorts of interesting things. Uh, we can talk trash too. Had a conversation yesterday about our solid waste management system here in Lane County, which is uh, currently not setting aside enough money for a future liability. So we have an unfunded liability right now uh, of about you know one and a half million dollars a year uh, over the next ten years. Uh, here in Lane County, although we're, we're going to close a half million of that with some changes in operations out at our landfill um, that our uh, consultant recommended for us. So we got our consultants feedback and then some uh, looking into some, but some of the consultants recommendations for cost savings were pretty controversial about closing rural transfer stations and uh, excluding commercial haulers from our Glenwood transfer station and making them haul down to the landfill. So you want to talk about trash, we can talk about trash. Um, We didn't finish the conversation yesterday. It just got to be such a detailed topic that we actually uh, held it over and we're going to have a separate uh, work session of a couple hours um, on a Wednesday. Uh, You know, we usually meet Tuesdays. It'll be a Wednesday morning where we're going to do nothing but talk about trash. So, you know, it's kind of interesting as a commissioner, we go from uh, talking about pot to talking about trash uh, to, you know, initiative petitions to bargaining with employees and and PERS and you name it. It's, it I, I can say that there's, there has not been a day as being a commissioner that's been like any previous day I was a commissioner. <laughs> Every day is different. So when you're talking about the trash issue, is that the county's expense or the uh, uh, maintenance or part of the garbage site? 
So I'm sorry, Robin, but you were kind of breaking up a little bit there. There's a little bit of feedback. Yeah, you're cutting in and out. But um, can you repeat the question a little bit? Uh, let's see. Is this better? Yeah. Okay. Is the majority of the uh, or the biggest issue on the trash is that actually maintaining the sites itself are are actually hauling the garbage to the sites. In other words, would competition help? Like, uh, for example, you know, in Springfield, only one agency is allowed to haul garbage. Um, no, that's really about consumer rates to actually have it picked up on the curb. That might help with your curb pickup rate. Uh, our system doesn't begin to let hauler dumps it on us, and, and it's the fees we charge him to haul that, that garbage. So whether you had one or two haulers coming out of Springfield wouldn't make a difference to us. It's the same number of tons that they tip over either at a transfer station or down at, at the landfill. Um, with the transfer station, it is the cost of, of basically, you know, they come there with a compacted filled truck, the commercial haulers do, dump it in the transfer station. We have to recompact it in a larger truck and haul it down to the landfill about eight miles away and dump it there. That bigger truck only holds about two and a half garbage trucks full. So it's not, you know, there's a, a significant cost in the recompacting and all. And um, it's just, it's not a very efficient way to go. Transfer stations work when you're got a much bigger haul distance. So like we have a transfer station where we take commercial haulers down in Florence and we have some that are further away um, down south in the Cottage Grove area and upriver um, also. Um, where you have a distance haul, it makes some sense to only haul one truck versus two or three. Um, but when when you're that close to the landfill, it doesn't quite make a lot of sense. And it's, you know, we basically have employees that do nothing but make round trips between Short Mountain down there, you know, just south of Goshen to Glenwood and back, you know? Um, so it, it's... Uh, uh, that's kind of the big cost. The, the, the driver with the rural transfer stations where it's folks' personal garbage, you know, where they're pulling up with their pickup truck or, um, you know, bags in the back of their their, their uh, SUV, um, that is more about, you know, the low amount of actual tons of garbage we haul out of there compared to the cost of manning those stations and collecting the fees. Uh, so that you know, the cost per ton out of some of those rural stations, it actually cost us as much as $300 per ton when we actually can um, collect directly and bury it at the landfill at about $30 a ton from the, the Glenwood station. So we're subsidizing some of those rural stations very heavily. So, but I, those, those have another issue and they, they prevent illegal dumping. So it might be worth the subsidy. A lot more complicated on so, I, uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll get to a decision in a, in a couple of weeks here because we do have to start uh, balancing the budget in that system because it's an enterprise system, and we will uh, hopefully uh, get that done. Well, speaking of trash, I guess it's about time for me to stop talking. Uh, <laughs> this has been the Bose Nose Show, and I hope you might have learned something over the last hour. And hopefully you can tune in next week and get
give us a call at 646-721-9887. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening. And good afternoon from downtown Elk.